Easter Sunday. Uh, our message today is going to be hope resurrected, and there's there's and your worship guide as well. There's a place for you to follow along on the notes if you'd like. And uh, then after the service today, we have a big egg hunt that's going to be happening with the kids and that type of thing. So stick around for that if you'd like, and um, it'll be a it's going to be a fun day. Have you ever had <clears throat> your hopes dashed before? You thought you had a perfect plan and it, it all fell apart. I remember whenever I was in the 10th grade, I, I still remember being in the 10th grade and <laughs> it's a little while ago. And that was, the, that was still the heyday. Uh, most of y'all are too young to remember, but I know that we have a few folks here and possibly watching whenever Geyer Springs, it was the heyday of Geyer Springs. I mean, you would, we would cruise Geyer Springs every weekend. That was a thing to do. It was bumper-to-bumper traffic on Geyer Springs, and you would, you would go, you would, you would cruise down to what now has the best taco truck in the nation that Andreas and Betty own that go to, go to our church. It used to be a Sonic there on Geyer Springs, and we would go around, the, you know, pull through the Sonic, and then we would turn left, and we would go down to um, McDonald's, and then across from McDonald's was Wendy's, and most folks would turn right and go around, cruise around uh, McDonald's there, but I would turn left and go around Wendy's. You know why? Because there was a beautiful girl in that <laughs> in that drive-through that worked that drive-through. So I would pull, I would turn left, and I would go around Wendy's because there was a good-looking girl named Mickey that lived that worked. In that drive-through, and I would go around it, and I—I didn't know her, but I had friends that knew her. We had mutual friends, so I would have—I got my people with her people, <laughs> and, and asked if you know. You see that guy driving around—the one, the only one that's driving around Wendy's. And uh, said, would you be interested? And she said she wasn't interested. And I was thinking, how could she resist? <laughs> I mean, I'm in my 1970 Maverick with the dent in the back. I'm, I'm driving through with my with my with the posture right, you know, back in the day, kind of looking over and had had the one eyebrow up and whatever I would drive through. How how could she resist? And yet she said that she wasn't interested and my hopes were dashed for a short period of time. And you can tell that it finally got to her because this end of this month, we will be celebrating 39 years of marriage. Yes. 
That's a humorous story of a time when my hopes were temporarily dashed, and obviously they were temporary, but again, because we've, we've been married for a long time now, but there's a, there's a big difference between having your hopes dashed or temporarily dashed and experiencing a feeling of extended hopelessness. I read some statistics um, that are really concerning to me over the past, this past week. It said in the United States, it says the United States is experiencing an extreme teenage mental health crisis. From 2009 to 2021, the share of American high school students who say they feel persistent feelings of hopelessness rose from 26% to 44%. This is according to the CDC. The highest level of teenage sadness ever recorded. Young people reported a range of serious mental health symptoms in the Harvard, in a Harvard survey as well. A startling 68% say they have little energy. 59% say they have trouble with sleep. 52% find little pleasure in doing things. 49% have a poor appetite or overeating. I don't feel hopeless, but I'm doing a great job of the overeating part. 48% have trouble concentrating. 32% are moving so, are moving so slowly or are, or are fidgety to the point that others notice. And 28% have had thoughts of self-harm. That's concerning. That our young people who are at the, at the typically have the biggest dreams for their life. They haven't they haven't experienced all the responsibilities of adulthood yet, and still they are experiencing this continual sense of sadness and hopelessness. And it's not just teenagers. Studies said that 51% of the thousands of Americans that are of all ages that participated in the survey said that that said that over the past few years, they had experienced deep feelings of hopelessness that lasted for weeks at a time. Let me just go ahead and start with the, with the notes now. You can follow along. God's will is not for us to live lives of hopelessness. Y'all help me, I'll preach shorter. Let me say it this way. It is not God's will for you to live a life of hopelessness. He's called the God of hope, not hopelessness. In fact, you can read it in Scripture. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says this. May the God of what? Of hope, not hopelessness, but may the God of hope Fill you with 
all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may, what? Overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is not God's will for us to live our lives in hopelessness. It's his will being the God of hope to help us to overflow with hope. And if you're here this morning and feel as though you've lost or losing hope, part of the Easter story, part of what the Easter story is all about, it's about having hope resurrected or re-engaged in lives where hope has been lost. So if you're here and hope has been lost in your life, part of the awesomeness of Easter, the Easter story, the truth of the Easter story, it's not just it's not just a story that we tell. It is a true story from history. One of the awesome things about it is that it gives us hope that resurrects within our lives if we've lost it. God resurrects hope to the hopeless. He resurrects hope to the hopeless. The followers of Jesus felt like Hope was crucified when Jesus was crucified on the cross. Hopelessness is usually experienced when reality doesn't measure up to your expectations. Hopelessness is usually experienced when reality doesn't measure up to expectations. And there's a lot of people who've had, have been let down with life. Their expectations didn't, reality didn't turn out the way they expected. And it's what happened with the followers of Jesus on that Friday when Jesus was beaten, crucified, and then died. Their hopes died when Jesus died. On that cross. Their expectations hit the wall of reality and hopelessness set in very quickly. It can set in quick, can it? You hope that it doesn't last very, very long, but it can it can set in and start trying to take root real quick. One awesome part of the Easter story is that. The resurrected Jesus appeared to his hopeless followers in ways, listen, that connected to them personally. He is a personal God that doesn't just care about a group. He cares about you, every one of us. He, and he met them where they were, and when they encountered their resurrected Savior, their hope, as quickly as it, as it left and hopelessness tried to set in, as quickly as it left, whenever they met Jesus again after the risen Savior came up, hope was resurrected all over again. That's what God wants to do in all of our lives. He wants to do the same to us today. And I want, I want us just to spend 
a, a few minutes, and we're going to give three examples of where, how God met some, Jesus met some personally, met them where they were in their sense of hopelessness after he, he rose from the dead. John chapter 20. says this, on the early on the first day of the week, they had been through this crucifixion. They were heartbroken. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved and this, it's a crack-up if you, I'm not going to read the whole story, but it's a crack-up if you pay attention. In the next few verses, John was the writer of this gospel. And did you notice Peter and the other disciple talking about himself, the one Jesus loved? <laughs> <laughs> and if you keep on, if you keep on, if you keep on reading, and I'm not going to take the time to do it. I'm just going to tell you. I should have read it because it probably would have taken less, taken less time. But you'll you'll see that the one Jesus loved ran faster. He got there before Peter. It was hilarious. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord. Her, her immediate thoughts, and whenever you get into a hopeless feeling or emotion, instead of thinking of the positive, you automatically start. Even though Jesus talked about what was going to happen, it never registered with any of them. She went down the hopeless. This they have, the, uh, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. After after they, Peter and John, the one Jesus loved, ran there, and they looked inside and saw that Jesus was gone, they turned around and went back to where they were. And Mary Magdalene was so heartbroken about what, was, what had happened, she didn't leave. She stayed there because Jesus had made, she knew what it was like to be hopeless before. Jesus had delivered her from seven demons that had been tormenting her her entire life. She had been abused. She had been rejected. She had experienced extreme difficulty in life before Jesus. And now all the hope that she had, all of the energy, the healing, the deliverance, the freedom that she had experienced because of what Jesus had done, now he hung on the cross and he died. She was hopeless. She just stayed there at the grave, at the tomb. And look at verse, skip down to verse 11. And it says, now Mary stood outside the tomb. What hopeless people do. They either, they either 
cry all the time or they get numb. Their emotions just get numb. And Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over. She could not believe it. She bent over while she was crying and looked inside again just to see if maybe she, they were mistaken. Whenever she looked in there, she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one on the head and uh, one at the head and the other at the foot. In the verse 13, they asked her, "Woman, why are you crying?" And again, even seeing angels through the tears, she still it didn't register that maybe he rose again, but that's what hopelessness does. As she wept, she bent over, looked in the tomb, saw the two angels in white seated at the head and the foot, and they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord, as she said, and I, I don't know where they have put him. If I could just get close to his body, verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she, again, she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Her heart was so broken, so broken that she couldn't even recognize Jesus, even though he was right there next to her. And I pray that there's nobody here this morning that is experiencing that kind of hopelessness. But if you are, I pray today, this will be the day that hope is resurrected in you as you encounter Jesus who is right there. Verse 15. And he asked her, same question, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she probably never even got up above his feet with her eyes. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will, and I will get him. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, what Jesus always does, he gets, listen, because he cares about you personally. He knows your name, and he wants to say your name, and he wants you to hear him say your name. And he said, Mary, and she toward, turned toward him, and all of a sudden, those tears of hopelessness turned to tears of joy because God is the God of all hope that wants us to be overflowing with joy, with peace, and with hope in our lives. And whenever we hear him say our names personally, where we are, he can bring hope again quickly. And those hot tears of hopelessness turn to hot tears of joy. And she recognized him whenever, she, whenever he said her name. She turned toward him and cried out 
In Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Her hope was immediately resurrected. And that's what Jesus wants to do in every one of our lives on this Easter Sunday morning. It's not surprising. Listen. It's not surprising that the first person Jesus appeared to after he, re- he was resurrected was someone hurting and brokenhearted. That's not surprising. Because look what Psalm 34, 18 says. The Lord comes close to the who? The brokenhearted. And he saves those who are hopeless, who are crushed in spirit. Life has beat them up. They've experienced things in their life that that have crushed them. He comes close. So it's not surprising that the first person Jesus showed himself to after he resurrected, was to bring hope to a brokenhearted person. Aren't you glad that Jesus loves the brokenhearted? Not just the together people. So here's what I'd like to say if you're here and brokenhearted. Jesus is always closer than you think. So don't stop looking for him. No matter how broken you feel, no matter how hopeless you feel, Jesus is closer than you think. So ask him to open up your eyes so that you can see him. Jesus desires to resurrect hope in the life of the broken. The next example that we see is that he also... There's some who needs hope resurrected, and he wants to do it to the doubter, to the doubter. If you're here today and you're a doubter, I want you to know, first, I'm really glad you're here. (laughs) Because Jesus cares about you. And we care about you. Everybody that's part of Zeal family, say amen. 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 Jesus is not intimidated by your doubts. He's not intimidated. He's not insecure about them. He's not run off by them. He still loves you even though you're doubting. Look at John 20, 24. Let me set it up just a little bit. All of the, all of the, the, John and the, I mean, uh, Peter and the one that loved went back to this place, and they, they were, got together in this one place, and Jesus showed up to them, and poor Thomas, I mean, he's lived with it, I mean, his name is lived to imp- infinity, infamy. My vocabulary is wide and deep. He wasn't there whenever Jesus showed up the first time in that room of disciples. 
Then in verse 24, it says that now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came the first time and showed himself to them. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my, put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. I, I put all my hopes there before, and my hopes were turned into hopelessness. They were dashed. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I'm sure that was very important for him to say whenever he just kind of shows up through a locked door. <laughs> peace. Hey, all right. Then he said to Thomas, I can't believe you didn't believe. I don't even know why you're here. If you won't believe right now, no. Because he's the God of all hope. And he meets us where we are because he loves us personally and he addresses us personally and he knows exactly where we are and he gets to that place. He says, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Then he goes on and says, now you can stop doubting. Start believing. And Thomas said to him, Again, immediately, whenever we encounter the risen Savior, personally, we can go from deep hopelessness, doubt, to be energized in faith and hope and peace and power for life. And he says, Lord, now... My Lord and my God. Hope was immediately resurrected. And tradition and history tell us that Thomas went on to spread the gospel throughout the Middle East. He ended up being martyred, most of it says, in, in India. And he ended, but he ended up being the first to take the good news about Jesus to India. They still have... they they celebrate Thomas in India today. And I'd like to say, if you're a doubter here today, Jesus is patient when you have doubts. Sometimes Christians aren't. God wants us to be. But Jesus is patient when you have doubts. 
listen, so don't withdraw from him. Keep reaching for him. You will encounter Jesus if you continue to go to the people and the places where Jesus is encountered. Thomas was, he was in the room with the other disciples, even though he had doubts. Probably the number one thing the enemy tries to do is to keep the hopeless isolated from people and the places of hope. If he can keep you isolated to where he can just be the only one feeding hopelessness into your mind and into your heart, he has you. But if you will... Choose and not let the enemy start telling you that God separates himself whenever you have doubts. He doesn't. He moves toward you. So don't withdraw from him. And don't withdraw from the places where he's encountered. A lot of people become hopeless. <clears throat> Because they've messed up, they feel like a failure, they're, they're brokenhearted, they're doubters, and then lastly, because of failure. They've disappointed themselves. They've disappointed everyone around them. But hope is resurrected to those who have failed. That's what... It's what the Easter story is all about. Don't just let it be a time whenever we get up and we get dressed a little bit more slick or whatever. I didn't put on a jacket because I figured I'd be hot today while I was up here. But I did put on slacks instead of blue jeans. Hope is resurrected to those who have failed. So don't let this time be a time whenever you just get up and go to church because that's what you're supposed to do at Easter. Let it be a time where if you're a doubter or you're brokenhearted or if you failed, know that Jesus cares and resurrection is for you today. John 21, you know the, possibly you may not know, the story where, where on Thursday night, Jesus told Peter, Peter was all cocky, Jesus was telling him what was, what was going to happen, and, and he said, Peter, I'm praying for you because you need to be praying because the enemy wants to sift you like wheat. And Peter said, I will never deny you. I will, I will die with you or die for you before I deny you. And Jesus said, mm, that talk is good, but here in just a little while, before, 
before the rooster crows three times, or before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. He could not believe it. He couldn't believe it. And he ended up, if you remember the story, I watched The Passion of the Christ last night. Oh, my word, man. Once again. <clears throat> he was heartbroken. He, he, he was like some of us get where we, we've messed up. We failed. We did exactly what somebody, and you've done it so many times now, you've become hopeless that you won't ever do where you won't do it again because you've promised over and over and over and over again. And there you are, did it again. But look what Jesus did because it's Jesus. And he meets us where we are. And he meets us personally, not just a group of people, but us personally. And he shows up. Peter decided, well, I'm going to go back to doing what I did before. This didn't work out. I'm going to go fishing. He went fishing, and while they were out there, Jesus got up some catfish, started frying it up. Did him, prepared a meal and called them in. You ought to read the story. It's awesome. Verse 15 of chapter 21. Seth, y'all can come on back if you'd like. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So sometimes whenever the Lord speaks to us, he speaks to us personally, and he pinpoints to make sure that we know where he's going. He says, do you love me? And we, the, the, if you didn't know, the Bible is written in the manuscripts are in Greek. And that word love has, there's four, we have one word. I mean, we talk about loving our wives, loving God, and loving chicken nuggets. <laughs> yes. In Greek, there's four different words. One is, has to do with, with parents loving kids or family love. One has to do with, with, well, it's eros, which is erotic love, physical love, physical affection. That's the chicken nuggets. One has to do with filio, has to do with friendship. And then agape, which is unconditional love. So Jesus asked Peter, said, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter responded, and Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Peter responded and said, yes, Lord, you know that I filio 
love you as a friend. Maybe, maybe Thursday night I would have said, Agape, I agape you. But I have messed up. I've failed. So I can't, I can't get myself to say, I agape you. But I can get myself to say, yes, I filio you. Jesus takes him where he is. Isn't it awesome that he does? And he said, well, I can still use you even though you filio. He says, feed my sheep. He comes again and he says, again, Jesus said in verse 16, Simon, son of John, he continues to call him by name, his full name. Do you love me? Do you agape me? And he said, yes, Lord. You know that I really owe you. Still couldn't say it. So Jesus, Jesus said again, take care, that's all right. Take care of my sheep. I can still use you. He comes again the third time, and he said to Simon, son of John, and he changed it. Do you, do you feel he owe me? And John, I mean Peter, was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time because Jesus, he pinpoints it. And he said, do you... Jesus said, do you filio me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. I wish to goodness that I could get to agape. But thank you for bringing it to filio. Because Jesus meets us where we are. He says, basically, you'll get there. I will use you until you get there if you will just keep loving me. If it's filio right now, it's going to get to, and it probably is agape, but whenever we failed over and over again, we don't even know what our own sincereness is because we thought we were sincere before. Jesus keeps on saying, he keeps saying, I love you. And if you'll love me, we can use you. In fact, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't do away. It, it, it's from the beginning to the end. Jesus loves, again, the brokenhearted, the doubters, and the failures. In Genesis chapter 3, real quickly. Adam and Eve, you'll remember the story, had failed miserably. And look what happens. Then the eyes of both of them, whenever they ate of the fruit, their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves because they failed. It happens every time with all of us. They experience shame. They experience guilt. And they wanted to cover themselves and hide. And look who came, look who made the first move. 
verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He was coming toward them even though they had failed miserably. And they hid from the Lord because that's what we do among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, but the Lord God, Lord God called to the man, where are you? And it's not because he didn't know where they were. He knew exactly where they were. But he wanted them to hear him calling their names. Because he moves toward the brokenhearted, the doubters, and the failures. Because he loves you and he wants to resurrect hope within your heart and your life. And then at the end, and I promise I'm finishing up right now. Children's workers are warning me to hurry up right now. Revelation 3.20, look. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. It's the door of your heart. And if you will hear my voice, and if you'll just open the door, you don't have to, you don't have to just open up your heart, the door of your heart to me. I will come in and we will share a meal together as what? As friends. Because he's the God of hope. And if you're here today and you're in a hopeless state, He's calling your name right now. And he's knocking on the door of your heart. And he's saying, if you will just be willing to open up that door, I will come in. And I can resurrect hope in your life. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you so much for your love toward us. Thank you that you don't give up on us. You don't run from us. You come near to the brokenhearted. You're not intimidated by our doubts and our fears. You can overcome any of our failures if we will just open our heart to you. So God, I pray today if there's anybody here that's in the room or watching online right now, whose heart has been closed because of the hopelessness. They hadn't even been able to recognize you because of that sense of hopelessness in their life. I pray right now, oh God, that they would be willing just to say, Lord, I surrender. I open myself up. I'm willing. I will continue to look for you. I'll continue to reach out to you. I will continue to listen for you. And God, I pray that right now, as quickly as hope was resurrected in these examples today, on this Easter Sunday, I pray that hope would be resurrected in every heart and every life here. In Jesus' name. And for you that are particular about empty blanks, the last empty blanks, Jesus... <laughs> 
Jesus isn't giving up on you. So listen for him. Open your heart to him. And love him. Amen. Let's stand and worship.